Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, in verse 7, it's emphasized that all of Jacob's family came into Egypt. See, in verse 7, his, uh, verse seven, his sons, his sons, sons with him, his daughters, sons, daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. So it's emphasizing here, every member of Jacob's family came into Egypt. Now, you wouldn't exactly look at this family and say, well, they're all just, they just follow along here, that there's no independent thinkers or anything like that. But, but it, it's emphasizing that no one stayed behind. No one said, you know, you go ahead. You know, I really don't want to go to Egypt. You know, this is the only home I've known here. I like it here. So if it's all the same to you, I'll just stay behind in, in, in this place I've made home. No one said that. They all left. And that's very important now to provide this listing, which is really what's starting here in verse 8. It's kind of like a catalog of the names of everyone who came into Egypt. And then verse 8, these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. And so now we start this section here of the these are the names. These are the names. And these are the names of Jacob, his grandchildren, even some great-grandchildren are listed there. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, you come to a passage like this, like all the sections that, that are like this in the Bible, and you think, oh, no. <laughs> you know, here's another one of those boring lists of names I can't even pronounce. You know? And when we study the Bible, we so often move too fast over these kind of sections here and over these names without looking for any kind of meaning, any kind of evidence that we can get from these names. I mean, after all, the Holy Spirit chose to occupy some very valuable space in the Bible with names. And we should ask ourselves, what is, how can that be important for me? What can I learn from it? Well, names are revealing. They're very revealing because they reveal the spirit of the families who gave, because those names were chosen by the parents. Sometimes God came along and said, I don't like that name. We have another name for you. But anyway, it shows us something about the parents. Names tell us about the family. For example, whenever you and I, whenever we're invited over to some a house of someone we really don't know very well, what's the first thing you do when you, when, you, when you come to a house, into a house of a person that you don't know? Well, the first thing you do is you start looking around. You start looking around, you try to get an idea. What kind of people are they, you know? And I mean, I, and whenever I go into a house, I always look for evidence of God. I say, well, do I see a Bible anywhere? You know, and that tells me, if I don't, maybe there's an opportunity to minister here. You know, but, but you have to know something about the person first. And because we, we, when you go into a person's house, you look at the choices 
that they made. You look at the pictures that are on the wall and you ask yourself the question, what does the choice of that picture tell you about that about the person? We look at the magazines that, that we might see to see what they're interested in. I remember one day when Pastor Jim and I were, were visiting the, the students, we were going door to door around San Diego State University where we were knocking on doors. And we came to one house and uh, I was wondering, I wonder what I should say to this student who's just opened the door. So I looked around, you know, behind him, you know, into the little place where he's living there. And, and what did I see? A Playboy magazine on the table. <laughs> and then I knew how to minister to him. I thought, to, and I spoke to him about the cleansing power of the blood of the Lord Jesus to cleanse him from his sin. It's very valuable for us when we look around homes where people live. Well, we don't have the opportunity to literally go into the homes of these children of Israel that are in chapter 46, Genesis, to get to know them. But we can get a tremendous insight into them by the names that they chose for their children. Now, I I know that some parents choose a name for their child because they like the sound of it, you know, but, but, but not everyone does that. For example, my next door neighbor, Matt Jones, he chose names for his children, Jubilee and Ransom. That's the names of his kids. <laughs> Last Friday, Mike Johnson and his family were, were, were over the house and, and we're having, you know, another one of our big feasts. <laughs> when they come and visit, it's, we go from feast to feast because we like feasting. But anyway, uh, we invited a student that used to, from UCSD that he knew from his church. We invited him to come over. And so he came over and I said, what's your name? And he says, Gendarme. I said, Gendarme? <laughs> I said, how did you get that name? <laughs> I asked him, you know. He said, well, his older brother was out shopping for a gift of perfume and he saw the name Gendarme. So he came home and he suggested that's the name that his parents should name the newborn. <laughs> that's how he got his name. Now, I remember one time we had an applicant for a job at Scanabodies, and she had the first name of Avis. And I, and I said, well, what's your middle name? She said, Renicar. <laughs> okay. I remember when, when Cheryl was in the hospital having Joseph, giving birth to Joseph, and her roommate had a baby girl, and both the parents were drinkers. They liked alcohol. So they named their daughter Brandy. Now, so names tell you about the parents. So in Genesis, as we study the meaning of the names, it reveals to us what the parents were like. They, they, they chose those names. And so we look over verses 8 through 27. Now, first of all, in looking over these verses, 8 through 27, with all these names in them, there's something surprising about two verses. Look at verse 15 and 17. What is there that's, that's surprising about verses, 16 and, verses 15 and 17? What is it? Who can see something different in verses 15 and 17 in this catalog of names? It's about the women. There's women. All the names who entered into Egypt, they're all men, except for these two verses, which identifies two women, Dina and Sarah. Now, why, why are these two women found in this catalog, this genealogy of Israel? 
Because all the other daughters and the granddaughters, they got married and they become, they became incorporated into the families or the tribes that they married into. But these two women never got married. So then they became counted as part of the founders of Israel that entered into Egypt. Now, this is the first indication in the Bible, or one of the indications, the Bible is really not the first, but it's one of the indications in the Bible of the importance of women in Israel, because this shows that the female inheritors in Israel, it shows this elevation of women in Israel. So now as we look at the meaning of these names, let's try kind of get an idea about the families. Let's look for God in the meaning of the names. Let's kind of get an idea how much godliness is there in each family. So first is Reuben's family. Now listen carefully as I tell you the meanings of each one of these names in verse 9. And then I'm going to ask you a question about, what well, do you see God in these meanings? So Reuben has these meanings. Hannah has these uh, children. He named, they're named. Hanak is the choice. That means teacher. Falu, that means distinguished. Hezron, that means blooming or beautiful one. Carmi, that means noble one. Any of those names reference God? No. That's a little sad. It's Reuben. Okay, let's move on now to Simeon. Simeon, verse 10, the names that were chosen for his children. Jemuel, light of God. Jamin, right hand or lucky. Ohad, strong. Yakin, founder. Zohar, bright shining one. Shaul, the one asked for. Any of those names have any reference to God? Sure, yeah. Jemuel, light of God. Shaul, the one asked for, who they asked for, for, to God, presumably from God. So in Simeon's family, we can see some evidence of godliness. Okay, let's move on to Levi's family. Verse 11, the names that he chose, the names that they were chosen for his kids. Kohath, congregation of the consecrated. Merari, harsh, severe, or a a practicer of discipline. Discipline. Any reference to God? But yes, we see some evidence of God, right? Congregation of the consecrated, Merari, harsh, severe, disciplined one. Sounds like a little bit like religious legalism. Okay, now let's move on to Judah's family in verse 12. The names that were chosen, Er, watcher, Onan, strong one, Sheila, peace or quietness. I think everybody would like to have a child that was peace (laughs) for a change. Pharaoh's breach, Zerah, going forth. And then the sons of Pharaoh, since we're on it, Hezron, Tower, Hamul, gentle or delicate one. Any reference to God in those names? Maybe, right? And also, maybe Ur, Watcher, Watcher for God, Sheila, Peace or Quietness. It could, anyway, now let's move on to, to Issachar's family, verse 13. The names that were chosen for his children are Tola, dressed in red. Fuva, speech. Job, returner. Shimron is like Shamar. Shimron is a guard or a keeper. What do you think? Think there's any reference to God in those names? Maybe. Shimron, a guard or a keeper, yeah. And then also uh, a Job, returner, returner. Okay, let's move on to Zebulun. Zebulun, look at the names they were chosen for his family. Verse 14, 14. Sered, you know Dan Sered. Sered, escaped, escaped. He escaped out of the clutches of his father. No, no, no. Sarah escaped. 
Elon, Oak, Jaliel, waiting on God. Any evidence of God in those names? Yeah, Jaliel, waiting on God. Maybe, maybe Sarah escaped as a, as, with the idea he escaped the lusts that were in Canaan, escaped the lusts of the world. Okay, let's move on to Gad's family. The name's chosen for his children. Verse 16, he had several kids. In verse 16, Zephion, seeing one, Hagar, festive one, Shuni, resting one, Esbon, devoted listener, Eri, watchman, Arodi, descendants, Arili, heroic. See any evidence of God there? Yeah, a little bit, right? Ziphion, he sees one, for, we hope, spiritual discernment. Shuni, he's resting, resting in the Lord. Esbon, he's devoted listener, listening to the Lord. Again, Eri, his uh, watchman as watching and praying. Okay, let's move on to Asher's family. Verse 17, names he chose for his children. Jimna, fortune. Ishua, like. Isui, alike. Beria, gift. And the sons of Beria were Haber, which means company, and Mahiel, God is my king. See any evidence of God in that family? Yeah, we do. Some evidence, Okay. Oh, let's move on to Joseph's family. Well, Joseph, what is it? Verse 20, we already know the meanings, why he chose these names. Manasseh means forgetting. He said that he named Manasseh forgetting because God made him forget all his troubles in his past. Ephraim, Ephraim means fruitful. He said again that Joseph, Joseph said God made him fruitful in the land of Egypt. So, of course, we see godliness in Joseph's. Joseph's family. Now we come to Benjamin's family in verse 21. Names that he chose were Bela, devourer, Becker, young camel, <laughs> Ashbel, sprout, Gera, fighter, Naaman, graceful, Ehi, brotherly, Rosh, head, Mupin, adorned one, Hupim, Protected. Who would name their kids Mupin and Hoopin? But anyway, that's what had. Ard, ruler. Okay, now, this is Benjamin, right? You know, for a young guy, he was very prolific. He had 10 children. We should call him Clint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see any evidence of godliness in those names? Yeah, some, right? Naaman, graceful, reflecting God's grace. Ehi, brotherly, as in God's brotherly love. Hoopin, Protected, like protected by God. Okay. We come to Dan's family, verse 23. He's only got one son, Hushim. Hushim means hastener. Can we get some godliness out of that name? Maybe. Hastening to do the will of God. And in the last, we come to Naphtali's uh, family in verse 24. Verse 24. The names chosen for those kids were Jaziel, allotted by God. Guni, hedged around or protected. Jazer, image. Shelem, Avenger. You see any evidence of God in those names? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Jaziel, allotted by God. Guni, hedged around, protected presumably by God. I don't know what happened with Shelem for Avenger. But uh, anyway, so, I mean, this is conjecture. Of course, this is conjecture. But we're looking around. We're looking around. And, and we're looking at the names, just like walking through a person's home. And we're just trying to get an idea about the level of godliness in each of the homes from the names chosen for their children. At any rate, Jacob now, with all of these children, with all these, they're not children all, but anyway, they're on, he's on his way down to Egypt. And he probably can't believe 
that he's doing this. He's saying, he's saying to himself, at my age, I'm 130 years old. I'm actually doing this? I mean, no doubt. Jacob expected that he was just going to die in Canaan. But, but there he, you know, that's where he was born. That's where he was brought up. That's the land that God had promised to him. He'd made it back there. He's 130 years old now. And it must have come to him as a shock for him to be sitting in that Egyptian wagon looking at all his family around him now going down into Egypt. So you look at Jacob with this scene and, and, and going down into Egypt. It's a lesson for us. It's a lesson for us to don't stress out over changes in life because uh, what we didn't expect. When David put this, this statement about don't stress out, he said in Psalm 3115, Psalm 3115, my times are in thy hand. God makes the decisions. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he viewed his life on earth with regards to the time of his death, the cross, he said in John 7, 6, John 7, 6, Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come. Then he said in John 7, 8, John 7, 8, go up to the feast. I go not up unto this feast, for my time is not yet come. He said in, in, in John 13, 1, John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And then when he actually prayed his high priestly prayer, in John 17, 1, John 17, 1, it says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son. Now, you and I don't know what's gonna happen to us in the future. Jacob didn't know. You know, this. we're gonna come to the point where in this chapter when he says, okay, now let me die. Well, it was a long time since then since he died. But anyway, and, and, and Paul really didn't know in advance when he was gonna die, but when he got to that <laughs> period of time, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.6, 2 Timothy 4.6, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. So this scene here of this 130-year-old Jacob now on his way down to Egypt, it shows us that we should never think of ourselves as I'm settled in for the final approach you know, in, in, in life. We always gotta be ready for a move that God may have in store for us. Now we're told in verse 26 that the number that came into Egypt was 66 and then, in verse 20, and, and then in verse 27, when he counted the, some others, it was 70 with Joseph and his sons. And, but Stephen, as I read to you earlier, in, in Acts 7.14, Acts 7.14, he gives a different number. And it says, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred were three score and 15. So that's 75. So how do you reconcile 70 and 75? Well, the Septuagint talks about certain grandchildren which are not part of the list, and and, 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 and I don't want to try and justify each number, but just make you aware that there is this difference of the, of the 75 and the 70. And, and anyway, we may have to wait till we get to heaven to get the right accounting here. But anyways, how that was all figured out. But now in verse 28, Jacob does something surprising. Look at that verse 28. He sends Judah he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. They came into the land of Goshen. So he sends Judah ahead of him to direct him. 
into where he should go, into Goshen. Of all the sons, why do you think that of all the sons, Jacob chose Judah to send before him to Joseph? Why do you think? Yeah, okay. So he took responsibility for Benjamin. So in other words, Judah had proved himself to be faithful because of all the brothers, he is the one who, who, who took responsibility for Benjamin and brought Benjamin back. Any other reasons? Okay, well, he's become this preeminent son in Jacob's uh, view, and he's shown himself to be a persuasive speaker. He's a persuasive speaker there. You know, it was Judah who convinced Jacob to let Benjamin go in the first place. And so these are the, some of the reasons why it, it, that Jacob has now placed his confidence in, in, in Judah. It's not easy for Jacob to place his confidence in any of his children, <laughs> but he does now with Judah, and he says, Judah is faithful, Judah is wise, Judah is eloquent, and therefore he's pre- preeminent. So Jacob, what we see here now, Jacob putting his confidence in Judah it's kind of like Jacob has received light from God that there is something special, there's something preeminent about Judah. And this light is gonna continue to grow and grow in Jacob until on his deathbed, he's gonna see, I thought it was Joseph. It's not Joseph, it's Judah. He is gonna be the central leader that all of the other brothers are gonna gather around. So Jacob sends Judah in verse 28, and this is the beginning of this revelation, like I said here, that Judah is gonna grow, is gonna, is the preeminent one. And this revelation, it's growing stronger and stronger and fuller and fuller and clearer and clearer to Jacob until on his deathbed he gives the final blessing and he sees that it's through Judah that the Messiah is gonna come. The Lord Jesus Christ is gonna come. But this developing revelation that, that Jacob is receiving about Judah. It's a picture for us. It's a picture of what, what happened to us when God revealed to us be, well, bit by bit the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. This, of course, is dramatically in, in the life of Paul you know, in Acts 9, in Acts 9 when he's converted, Acts 9, 1, Saul breathing out, threatening slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest hard for thee. Kick against the pricks. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Okay, so Judah is sent. Judah has these instructions from Jacob, which are first of all to announce that Jacob is coming, and second of all, to receive instructions for Joseph as to where to go, what to do when they come into Egypt. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. The Creation and Earth History Museum is excited to present our Israel Live summer trips in June, July, and August. Experience a trip to the Holy Land where you'll walk in the footsteps of Jesus and His Apostles, visit some of the most important sites to human history, and seek to make friendships with Jewish people that'll last a lifetime and into eternity. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel, one friendship at a time. For more info, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org.